exciting stuff, so this is an exciting summer for me. I'm, uh, I know I've, I've met some of you, but I would love to meet more of you, so come tap me on the shoulder sometime, and I'd love to go get coffee with you, or just talk for a few minutes, or take you out to lunch, or whatever it is you want to do, and, and uh, get to know you guys. So I'm excited for the topic this morning. I want to talk about an issue that is very important for church planning, uh, something that uh, church planners care a lot about, and that is the topic of mission. What, what does it look like for us as disciples? and for us as a church as a whole to be on mission to the world. How are we uh, being a light to the world? How are we representing Christ to the whole world? We're going to look at a well-known Bible character, Jonah. Uh, Jonah, everybody's probably heard about Jonah and the whale. It doesn't matter where you've been to church once in your life or, or a million times. You've probably heard about Jonah. And he's, he's a little more interesting than we all thought. It's actually a very rich and sophisticated story. In fact, Jonah is some of the best storytelling uh, I'd say in, in, in all of Scripture. So it's exciting to, to jump into Jonah. Uh, I want to tell a little bit of the background for Jonah. It's helpful for us to understand who was Jonah, what was the context, uh, for us to get a better understanding of what he tells us about mission. So Jonah was written in the 8th century B.C. It was written to the whole country of Israel, not just a specific king or a court or something, but all of Israel. It was written at a time when Israel was especially prosperous, uh, secure, safe. Life was going well for them. In fact, many Israelites thought they were living in a new golden age. So they thought, uh, they thought the time of, of flourishing that they experienced with David and Solomon was actually was happening again in the 8th century. And uh, despite all this, despite their flourishing, they're actually spiritually bankrupt. They're a spiritually bankrupt people. They, they oppress the poor. Uh, they even enslave other Israelites. Um, they, uh, they also... Uh, they, they uh, worship idols and stuff like that. They're, in fact, their king, Jeroboam II, was said that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So it's very corrupt people, uh, despite pretense, uh, and they are completely blind to their corruption. They, they actually think that the reason life is going so well for them is because they're being obedient to the Lord. And so very, very naive. There's a lot of nationalism. A lot of that's how this pride expresses itself, is God is blessing us and not everybody else because we're so great. Uh, and in walks Jonah. This is, this is when Jonah, a prophet, walks into the story. Uh, and Jonah is, uh, if you've read the book, you know it's not a, a, a treatise, a very complex theological book on mission or how to get, get it right. But it's actually a satire using the life of Jonah to convict us and challenge us and rebuke us on what, what, how we understand and practice mission. And so we're supposed to look at the, the book of Jonah and ask ourselves, how much of Jonah is in me? Am I in Jonah? So that's, that's what we're going to be, a question we're going to be asking. How much of Jonah is in us? What does Jonah have to teach us about mission? I hope it's, it's challenging and inspiring. I want to look at uh, Jonah 1. If you guys have a bulletin, our text or our passage is going to be printed on the bulletin. I'm going to read from that. Just a little heads up. I'm going to read a few verses past uh, what's printed in the, uh, the bulletin. So I think it'll be helpful for us understanding Jonah. This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind against the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, 
What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, out, come let us cast lots that so we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they, I'm going to keep reading. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet us down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea was more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it is pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray. Father, you are kind and generous, and so we ask you right now for the gift of your spirit. You would be here present teaching us, instructing us, inclining our our hearts and our minds towards your word. Uh, I pray that above all, we would be more deeply converted to your mission. Amen. So we're talking about Jonah. We're talking about mission. Three things I want to say about Jonah. The first is that mission is carried out by, uh, begins with the fear of the Lord. Mission begins with the fear of the Lord. Number two, mission is carried out by God's sovereignty. And third, mission is carried out by confessing Christ. So let's, let's look at the first point. Mission begins with the fear of the Lord. You see this in verse 9 where Jonah makes his confession. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And, and what the author is doing right here is he's using an ancient literary device called a chiasm where someone will take a large check of, chunk of writing, create parallel ideas and words that kind of work their way into the middle. When you get into the middle, that's what the author wants you to get. And that's what's going on here. It's, it's Jonah's confession saying that he fears the Lord is what the author is, is wanting us to get and understand. If, if you remember the, the context, where is Israel right now? They're kind of apathetic. They're indifferent to the nations because life is going so well for them. And so we have to, we have to appreciate that fear of the Lord is what starts mission. It ignites mission. In fact, you see, uh, you see, it actually lived out in Jonah's life that the reason he is running from the Lord, he's not on mission to Nineveh, is because he does not fear the Lord. So it's, it's Jonah's lack of fear that is keeping him from mission. Fearing the Lord is something that is very important for this passage. It comes up a number of times. If you've read other parts of the Bible, you know that fearing the Lord is extremely important. It's a huge part of what it means to be a disciple. Uh, even in our passage, it talks about this is what actually leads someone to the Lord. This is where someone begins to even know the Lord, is fearing the Lord. So I want to take a moment to actually ask, what does it mean to fear the Lord? So it's kind of a big deal. And what, what fearing the Lord is not, is it's not cowering in some little corner. It's not being terrified of God. Uh, it's not treating God like one of your, your boss or something who's constantly following you around, waiting to, to punish you or, or point out your mistakes. Fearing the Lord is a mixture of reverence with fear. It's reverence with, uh, excuse me, reverence with peace for the Lord. Reverence and peace for the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's knowing that the Lord is perfectly holy, that he is loving, that he is just, he is truthful. He hates all forms of, of falsehood, injustice, hatred, arrogance. He's committed to annihilating these things in the world. 
It's, it's, it's knowing that God is, uh, his authority is above any other authority that exists. And we are called to give him allegiance. We're called to, to submit to him, to give him ownership of our lives. It's, it's knowing that, um, that God is able to exercise his will in the world unrestrained. That God, God is incredibly powerful. What, what fearing the Lord isn't, is it's, it's not a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of, of uh, God is going to reject you, he's going to abandon you, that, uh, that he's, he's, uh, he's fickle and unpredictable. Uh, it's, knowing, it's, it's a peace that comes from knowing that we are safe in Christ, that God, God is not treating us how our sins deserve, but he's, his faithfulness to us is based on the faithfulness of Christ, and that's something that we can be secure in. And more important, more, just as importantly, it's also a sense of rest that exists in our hearts. We can, we can experience actual rest and peace, and that's where, that's where joy comes from, that's where gratitude, and so serving the Lord isn't drudgery, it's something that is actually inspiring, we can be excited about, we can be joyful and, and grateful to do. If you're, if you're having trouble understanding what does it mean to fear the Lord, I, I suggest kind of thinking of maybe relationships in your life, uh, mentors, friends, parents, grandparents, where you would say you have this kind of mixture of reverence and awe for. And I, for me, it's, it's one of my professors in the seminary, uh, Dr. Douglas, a wonderful old man. Probably some of you do know him. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Um, he's one of these people that's just, he walks into the room, and you're in total awe of him. He's, he's, he's one of these people, he has this kind of stately presence that commands everybody's attention. You would never, you would never do anything to offend him. You would never hurt him at all. Uh, you have this deep awe and respect for him. Uh, and I think a little bit of this is what it means to fear the Lord. It's just being held sway by God's presence. It's allowing him to constrain you uh, in a way that makes you excited and, and awe-inspiring. Um, I think this idea of fearing the Lord uh, pushes a little against how we think about mission. The way, the way we talk about mission at Christ Church a lot is that if I believe God, God showed me mercy, he showed me compassion, I will go and show that compassion and mercy to other people. Uh, and that is, that is very true. That's all over Scripture, extremely important. But it's actually not what's happening here uh, with Jonah. The reason Jonah is running away from uh, the Lord's mission is because he's actually absolutely confident and certain that God is going to be compassionate. He knows this, this is a done deal, and he doesn't want that. The problem with Jonah is that he thinks he can set the terms for mission. Jonah thinks he can set the terms for mission. He gets to tell God, here's what I want to do, I don't want to do. Here's what makes me comfortable, uncomfortable. Uh, I'm willing to do this, and why don't you kind of craft a little mission that accommodates me, that makes my life comfortable, interesting, so on. And so we have to ask the same question that Jonah is forcing to ask is, is how, how much are we setting the terms with God's mission? How much of, are we like uh, Jonah who's maybe fleeing the Tarshish? We know there's, the Lord wants us to do something, but we're actually we're being disobedient. We're being willfully disobedient. Or are, are we like Jonah, where we're, we're sleeping on the bottom deck? We know that we know that there is there is something uh, that the Lord wants us to do, but we're indifferent. We're apathetic to it. And so we, we need to ask some honest questions about this. Um, I I know uh, fearing the Lord is, is something that we probably want to grow in. Maybe we don't always understand it. Uh, maybe we don't know exactly what this looks like, but it's something we want to cultivate in our life is having this reverence and, and peace with God. And so the question is maybe how do we actually cultivate this fear of the Lord? And this passage has some things to say about it. It says that fear of the Lord actually starts when you start fearing something else. Fear of the Lord begins when you fear something else. And you see, the, see this in the experience of the sailors. The sailors, it says in verse 4, it says they started out fearing the storm. They were, they were very afraid of the storm. And then Jonah makes his confession, 
And it says they were exceedingly afraid. They suddenly realized that they were actually contending with God himself. And then, then it ends in verse 16, the end of our passage. It says that they uh, began to fear the Lord. So there's this growing sense of fear that even includes a fear of God himself, and then it actually ends up into a, a worshipful fear of God. And this remind, the experience of the sailors reminds me a lot of a climbing experience I had a number of years ago. I was going rock climbing in, in Rocky Mountain National Park. We were climbing this giant spire, and it went up the 12,000 feet. And if you know Colorado in the, in the summer, afternoon thunderstorms are things you always got to watch out for. You don't, don't want to watch out. You've you got to always get off, off of something by the time the afternoon hits. We were climbing, and it was kind of an all-day thing, and we ended up climbing into the afternoon, and we could see the clouds approaching. It was this kind of dark, dark cloud coming towards you, and it was raining, and there was lightning, and you're kind of like, this is, this is probably going to hit us, and it's probably not going to be that fun. And uh, sure enough, it starts, it starts raining a little bit, and then that rain turns into a, a, a downpour, and then the rain turns into sleet, and the light, lightning starts increasing, and there's more and more thunder, and, and by the time we top out, we're on a platform that's about the size of this, and we got 1,000-foot cliffs on all sides, and we have no idea how to get off. No idea. There's these tiny little rappel links that we couldn't really find, and we're trying to find these. And uh, where I was spiritually at this point in my life was I had uh, probably gospel stuff, church, prayer. None of this was even on my mind. I, I was off in Tarshish, wherever that is. I was, you know, I was, I was there. And, um, but I turned to my buddy, and I said, I know what we need to do. And he kind of looks at me, kind of like, what are we supposed to do here? And I said, we need to pray. And he kind of gives me this look. He's like, you have lost your mind look. And, and I, I look back at him, and I'm like, don't worry, I won't make you pray. And so uh, I, I prayed. I don't even remember what I prayed. I probably said something about God rescue us, you know, save us from this. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, we were rappelling down the face, and it was completely blue skies. There was not a single cloud in the sky. And it, it, was, it was shocking. It was, it was eerie. And we, I, I, we got down at the bottom, and... I pointed up at the sky and I said, you see, it's because I prayed. And uh, I, I don't think I, I got the point right then, but that moment, that experience began to actually kind of get in my mind and began to make me ask questions. And I'm kind of like, you know, that was, that was kind of a trippy thing. Like, I think God actually showed up in that. You know, I think actually in some real way, I can't explain it, I had an encounter with God himself. And what I was beginning to learn out of that experience is that fear of the Lord uh, and awe of God happens when you realize that God is greater than our fears. It's kind of, you know, it might, might sound a little too sloganistic, but fear of the Lord begins when we uh, realize that God is greater than our fears. And what's so amazing about the experience of the sailors is they realize that God was not only greater than their fears of the storm, but God was actually greater than their fear of him. That God, God had actually gone on his way to make peace with these, these sailors who wanted nothing to do with him. And that's, that's the whole gospel story, is that God, God is uh, making room for us. He's He's uh, working to undo his judgment, that we can actually have forgiveness by entrusting ourselves to Christ, uh, and that we can actually have peace with our Maker. And so we, we uh, fear the Lord by getting the fear uh, something else. So let's move on to the next part of mission. Mission is carried out by God's sovereignty. How are we doing with pace, by the way? I think pace, I heard the first sermon, I was like, I'm racing through it. Is pace okay? Ish? Okay, I got some thumbs up. All right, thank you. Um, Mission is carried out by God's sovereignty. Uh, you see this in the passage uh, all over the place, but verse 4, is a, it's especially clear. It says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, on the ocean. And so, so that what was going on here is that God himself actually took the storm, put it uh, right in the life of Jonah, the life of these sailors, to advance some purpose, to actually advance his mission. 
And we know that God is the, uh, the one who carries out his mission. God is, God is the great missionary. Uh, and this, this is one of the most important things for understanding mission, is that it's something that we don't invent. It's something that we don't have to get God to be convinced on, that we're actually submitting to and inhabiting God's mission to the world. There are some important implications for this. One is it means that God's sovereignty is greater than our failures. God's sovereignty is greater than our failures. It means that God's control, his work, his purposes are going to have the last word. It means that our failures don't actually prevent God's mission. You know, I, I think we have this idea that a lot of what prevents us from being on mission is uh, being afraid of something, being afraid of being incompetent, maybe being afraid of, of not knowing what to say, uh, something like this. But the amazing news is that God himself actually knows this also. And he's actually he's made room in his mission for our imperfection, for our failure. Uh, and so our failure is not going to hamper God's mission. In fact, in, fact in, this, in this passage, it's actually what advances God's mission. God, God, uh, the beauty of, of the gospel, the beauty of God's grace, is that he works in contradistinction to our weakness sometimes. He's, he's advancing his mission through our weakness, which is, which is so beautiful. And so God's mission is big enough for our failures. Mission is also how we experience God. Mission, mission is, is how we know that God is present with us. Uh, it's, it's how we experience the Lord. Uh, and there is no doubt in Jonah's mind that what is happening uh, in his experience of the storm and so on is that, um, that he is actually experiencing the Lord himself. In fact, he identifies this in verse 12. Jonah says this, He knew that it's because of me that this great tempest had become upon me. So he's, he's looking at this and he's saying, like, this, this storm is something that actually God, God caused, uh, and God is present in this storm. Reminds me of an experience in St. Louis. I live in inner city St. Louis. I, I live two blocks away from uh, what I'm told is the most diverse intersection in the country. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it has an, a ridiculous amount of diversity. And there's a huge East African population that lives there, and they have this restaurant where they make the best sambusas in town. So if you're ever in St. Louis, let me go take you out. We'll buy some sambusas, drink some tea. It'll be a good time. Um, but it's a very interesting place. It's a number of very dark-skinned East African men dressed in traditional robes. They're all speaking Arabic. They're reading the Koran. Very different. You know, I'm a white dude, 6'3". I look like I live in a van. And so, you know, there's, there's this very, very different. And the idea of me being on mission to these people, I'm honestly hopeless. I'm a hopeless cause. And yet, every single time I walk over there, I'm always kind of praying in my head. I'm like, God, let me represent you to these people in some way. I don't know what it'll look like. Let me ordain some experience where I can represent you to these people. And I'll tell you what, every single time, God answers these prayers. And it's not because I'm awesome. It's because God is actually inviting me and being gracious to me by allowing me to be on his mission. There's amazing things. Being able to show love and hospitality to people who, who are new here who are from another country, who are, don't know how to assimilate. There's amazing opportunities. There's opportunities to, to love people and, um, and uh, share the gospel. There's, there's times that people have asked me, kind of, you know, what, what, what do you believe? What do you do? You're a seminary student. What is that about? And there's these amazing times to talk about God's grace, what it means to know the Lord, uh, all this stuff. And every time I walk away from those experiences, I'm always thinking to myself, like, God is actually real. Like God, you know, not, not kind of like atheism stuff, but more of like, like I actually experience God in some real way. Uh, and, it, and it convinces me that, you know, it, th- these moments are very important for, for us as disciples. They, they really kind of, they, they motivated us, they inspire us. And um, I know some of you have probably asked questions. You're like, I don't feel like I experience the Lord as much as I would like. You know, I, I don't feel like he's as present as I would like. Uh, very common 
question, very common concern. And you know, one, of the, one of the things you're going to ask yourself is, uh, am I on mission for the Lord? You know, am, am, I, am I serving him? Am I, am I out there uh, uh, representing him to the world around me in my, in my deeds, in my speech? And uh, this is representing really a, a principle that's common in all relationships, is that the more you love and serve somebody, the more you feel connected to them. You know, you, you experience them, you feel connected with them, you feel you're, you're mutually abiding in each other. And it's the same for us with the Lord, is that we are, we are actually, uh, the more we love him, the more we're on mission with him, the more we're able to experience him. So God's sovereignty is uh, what carries mission forward. Here's the last point. Mission is carried out by confessing Christ. Mission is carried out by confessing Christ. You see this in verse 9. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And what what Jonah's here, he's he's telling people, um, he's saying, you know, I I serve this this God, uh, the Lord. He He made everything. He's seated. He's ruling in heaven. And, and for us, it's important for us to understand what a confession actually means. We, we throw this around a lot. It has a few meanings, but in this context, to confess the Lord, it means to tell the world publicly what are our ultimate loves and loyalties. Who, who gets our allegiance? Who, who do we serve? Um, and it's not just to talk about who our loyalty is to. It's to talk about the qualities and character of the person that we actually serve. And so in Jonah's case, like we said, he's, he's telling them, you know, I, I've served the, the one who made everything. And he's, he's the one who actually deserves to be served. And in fact, what's, what I love about uh, the name Lord, L-O-R-D in, in caps, is that it's actually God's special name. It's a name that he gave to Israel, and it's, it's Yahweh. You've probably heard of this. Yahweh uh, is God's special name, and it's, it's supposed to tell who, who God is. And it's a name that he gave to Israel during the Exodus, when they were in slavery, uh, God, and God was saying, I'm going to rescue you out of slavery, and you can count on me because my name is Yahweh, is kind of what he says. So it means that God is a, a deliverer. He rescues us from bondage, that we can count on him to always be kind and generous to us, that he doesn't hold our sins against us, uh, that he's somebody who deserves our submission, uh, our love, our, our respect. And this is the same for us as New Testament believers, is that Christ is, is now the expression of Yahweh. He's, he's the most acute expression of who Yahweh is, is that he's humble, uh, he, he serves us, and yet he is, he is the leader who we're supposed to serve, uh, that he, he forgives our sins, that he, he offers a way back to the Lord. Um, and so for us as believers, when we confess, we're supposed to be confessing who, uh, who Christ actually is. And we confess him in word and deed. We, we confess him uh, by actually talking about who God is, uh, what, what he's done, what, what, um, his grace, his, his supremacy, and, talk, and re- representing Christ uh, in the way we actually live. It's by embodying and reflecting God's character into the world. And so we, uh, we confess Christ by, uh, by the way we live and the way we, um, we, way we speak. And this, this touches on one of my main convictions and, and passions, is that uh, being a Christian, being a disciple, is something that is profoundly ordinary. It is, I always say, it's, being a disciple is about changing dirty diapers. It's about changing dirty diapers. It's not about going on and, and saving the world. It's not about uh, convincing everybody you're so awesome. It's about taking the very ordinary things we have in our life and actually faithfully imitating Christ in those situations. And so whether you're getting a review at work, uh, whether you're, you're commuting, whether you're uh, on a play date, uh, whether you're, you're here in worship, all these things, all these very weekly, normal things that we do uh, are actually incredibly significant and dignifying uh, because of... Um, 
because of what the Lord is actually calling us to. And this, this pushes back against a lot, of, um, a lot of how our culture says. Our culture says that you're, you're really dignified if you're doing something that's really important according to standards X, Y, Z. And, and what, what, what this is saying, it's kind of countercultural, is that you have dignity, you have value if you're on the Lord's mission. And it doesn't matter how important it is to the world or not, your, your dignity um, is found because the Lord has thought you you're worthy to be on mission. And so let's, uh, let's look at the last point. Confession is um, not only what carries out mission, confession is a communal act. Confession is, it takes community. And you, you see this at the end of the chapter. I, I read it to you. I don't think it's in our bulletin, but it's, there's a strange thing going on. There's a sacrifice. says they sacrificed to the Lord, and they made vows. And that, that is actually shorthand in the Old Testament for a special ritual called the peace offering. And the peace offering is very, um, it's very detailed, very specific, uh, kind of theologically what's going on. It's, it's really actually what happens in communion, is that we are, uh, God is communing with us, he's eating with us, that he's pledging himself to us, and we're pledging ourselves back to the Lord. And so the question is, how did pagan sailors learn about the peace offering? That's kind of strange. And, um, well, they didn't get it from Jonah because they just threw him overboard. And so, and, and I think I, my, my kind of thought on what, why this is the case is because uh, there's really good reasons to think these sailors were Phoenician sailors, that they were, they were tra- traveling and trading and colonizing the entire Mediterranean. And so they're, uh, they're all over the Mediterranean, and what they're doing is they're probably running into other Israelites. And what are these Israelites doing? They're confessing Yahweh. They're telling him who Yahweh is in little ways, uh, but they're telling about, you know, hey, God made everything. You know, or God's actually kind and generous to us, you know? Or, or that uh, this is how we worship him at the temple. And so they're learning about these things, including the peace offering. And, and so by the time we get to Jonah 1, um, it clicks for them. You know, we don't hear about those million other encounters that might have happened. What we get is the final encounter where they actually chose to submit to the Lord uh, and uh, give themselves over to, over to the Lord. And, and so for us, what this means is that we're supposed to be... Uh, uh, we're supposed to appreciate that mission is a process. It takes time. It doesn't, it's not something that happens one hour a week for your volunteering or whatever it is. Uh, it's also not something that, um, that you can do on your own. You need people. And so one of the questions we've been asking ourselves is, is how can we, uh, with our families, with our friends, with other uh, members of our church, be on mission for the Lord to the world? What, what, are we, what can we be doing to serve and represent Christ to the world? So just to recap, Jonah has, has a lot to teach about mission. Jonah says that uh, mission begins by fearing the Lord, and fearing the Lord begins with fearing something else and realizing that God is greater than whatever else we're fearing, even his judgment. Mission is uh, carried out by God's sovereignty. It takes us into his presence. It's safe. It's big enough for our failures. Uh, it's honoring because we're invited in on it. Uh, and mission is actually carried out by confessing Christ with other confessors. So hopefully that we will, we will be a little more inspired to be on mission like Jonah. Let's pray. Father, it is, it is exciting and dignifying that you would uh, take us and invite us to be on your global mission. I pray that you would grow our imaginations for this. Uh, help us to see new ways of, of represent you, representing you and imaging you uh, to the world around us. Pray that you would be ordaining situations and encounters uh, where we can uh, faithfully represent you. Uh, We thank you and praise you. Amen.